Today's reading is from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 16, verse 18 to 20, and then chapter 17, verse 14 to 20. So Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 to 20. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Chapter 17, verse 14 to 20. When you enter the land your Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back to that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. If we've not met, uh, my name is Matt Fuller. I'm the vicar here. You have to forgive me. My voice may uh, be intermittent <coughs> this morning. It's a little croaky, but uh, I think we'll get through. Let me uh, pray, and uh, then I'll explain why we're looking at a slightly obtuse passage uh, in the middle of Deuteronomy on uh, this coronation day. What do we call it? Jubilee day. Hey, great God and Father, it's really, we're, we're very, we are thankful that it's quite straightforward to celebrate and give thanks for the life of Queen Elizabeth and her reign. She's been a good monarch. But as we turn to the scriptures and how you prescribed what a monarch should have looked like for Israel, would you help us understand well, simply what's here? Help us understand what it might mean for us, how it should shape our expectations uh, for today. But Father, help us. Help us where we can, and there are many places we can, to give thanks for your good gift of a good queen. Amen. Actually, it is quite easy, isn't it? The, um, it is quite easy to celebrate with the national mood which celebrates the queen, because we like her. Um, and she's been uh, an exceptional head of state, really, not just in longevity, but in the way she's uh, carried it out. Even the most dedicated of Republicans recognizes that Elizabeth has served her country well. And basically the plan is just wait until Charles comes. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're a Republican or uh, you know, if you're Australia or whatever or Canada, you say, oh, just wait until Charles comes. But to everyone recognizes that the Queen has done a remarkably good job. And so if you saw any of last night, but certainly thank you, thank you, thank you is the sort of the mantra, even from Paddington Bear, thank you, your majesty, um, thank you is uh, very much the mood. I mean, the stats, are, you, know, they, you know, these now, but they are extraordinary, aren't they? When you pause and think, okay, so 14 prime ministers going back to Churchill, 
15 US presidents during her time. It's a lot of people, isn't it? She's, I mean, the, the things that are slightly weird. Her portrait has been on the coins of 35 different nations. That is weird, isn't it? Can you imagine your picture? How you must get really bored of seeing your picture if you're the queen. Just posed for 200 portraits. My favorite stat, though, was um, she is not required and therefore does not possess a passport or a driving license, for she is the one who issues them. <laughs> Isn't that great? So when she travels overseas, never a passport for the queen. Have you got a passport? No. Uh, I issue them all. I just quite like that. I don't know why in particular. It's quite easy to give thanks. So I thought, um, <clears throat> let's pause. Let's pause our normal habit of, of working our way through uh, uh, books of the Bible and ask biblically, what should we want from, from a monarch? And in one sense, there's no better place to turn than Deuteronomy 17. What should we want from a monarch? I mean, there are different ways of answering that. One columnist in The Guardian, Catherine Whitehorn, uh, I read, um, I thought it was interesting. Why do we respect the Queen so much? What people want is their sovereign to be better behaved, more restrained, more reliable than they are themselves. We want our sovereign to be in some way like a good parent. It was quite striking from obviously a, not a pro-monarchist uh, uh, newspaper. We want the sovereign to be better behaved, more restrained, more reliable. Well, I think there's some truth to that. But you turn to Deuteronomy 17, and the question comes a little... Well, the question isn't quite that. What do we want from a monarch? But it's a good passage to turn. When you look at this section, I've put it very briefly on here. Chapter 16, just to orientate you a little bit in Deuteronomy. Chapter 16, 18, all the way through to chapter 18, verses 22. It's one long section on the leadership structures in Old Testament Israel. It's bringing out the sense of the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Honor those in authority is the sort of the outworking of the fifth commandment uh, here in the book of Deuteronomy. Although really here in this section, the, the emphasis is on um, those in authority must be worthy of honor. That is really the stress. But two things are stressed in this section on leadership. And just to orientate, uh, the people must be involved and the leaders must love God's word. Those are the two. The people are meant to be involved. That's why we had just chapter 16, the last couple of or two or three verses led, uh, excuse me, read there. The people were in those days to appoint judges and officials, chapter 16, 18. For each of your tribes in every town. You, you're to do that. The people are to be involved in doing that. And the people are told, chapter 16, verse 19, do not pervert justice or show partiality, don't accept a bribe. A bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. Verse 20, follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. So if you want a just nation, or a just community, you could easily, I think, say a just church. One stress here and throughout this section is that the people must appoint. They've got to be involved. So just, I mean, I'm just these tangential comments really before we get to the meat of it. But just, you, know, you can't complain about your leaders if you're not involved, the Bible would say. Don't neglect to vote and then 
throw brickbats at your politicians. Don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> That's not okay. Um, be involved. And don't show partiality, not just in the taking of money, I guess, but um, don't just be blinded to faults in any kind of leader because you benefit personally. That's the first little thing that's, that's stressed, that people have to be involved. Um, I guess for us as a church, if you want to have good leadership, be involved in our own church family, in our denomination, be involved. I guess there's some echo in that. The other stress of the whole section is if you want to have a just community, you have to have leaders who love God's word. There are five different groups mentioned. There's local courts, the, the national central court, supreme court, if you will, the king, our focus today, priests and Levites, and the prophet. You've got to want all of that. So power is diffuse, I guess is one stress biblically here. But you really want them to love God's word. And if you have leaders who love God's word, honor them, is the stress of this section. But anyway, what we're going to look at is just the king, just the king in the middle of this block. And the monarch who wants two little things. They'll not acquire for themselves and they'll read God's word daily. Okay, so very simple. The sort of monarch you want will not acquire for themselves, but will read God's word daily. And just as we go through, you might want to have in your head, of course, this is talking about a king in Old Testament Israel. You could apply it, I think, to a modern leader, even a liberal democracy. These are the sort of leaders you want. You could apply it to leadership in a church. There are things you can learn for yourself. I think all of those are entirely reasonable. We're mostly thinking about a king or a monarch. First, then, the monarch you want for yourself, excuse me, the monarch you want will not acquire for themselves. Chapter 17 and those first few verses, 14 to 17. So Israel, I think, would have been struck when reading this of how limited the king was. So uh, verse 14, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and you've taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. You must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't place a foreigner over you, the one who's not an Israelite, okay. But the stress, I think, would have been, this is surprising, he's not an all-powerful king. So you don't want a king like all the nations around you sort of absolute monarch. You don't want that. Kingship in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, it's exalted. It's, the king is, is meant to be representing God in the book of Psalms. That's generally how kings are used. But here in Deuteronomy, it's a bit like a CEO. He's one amongst a number of leaders. Um, significant, but not all powerful. Um, it's a bit more down to earth. It's meant to be the ideal Israelite. Is meant to be, the king is meant to be an example so you choose one from among yourselves to become king. But, but the stress is that he, in these first few verses, the king mustn't acquire for himself. It doesn't come out super clearly in, in our versions. The uh, NIV has gone for variety. But three times, the uh, Hebrew would say, the monarch must not acquire for himself horses. He must not acquire for himself multiple wives. He must not acquire for himself Great wealth must not acquire for himself. Nothing wrong with gaining these things for the nation, but for himself. Now, how do we think about that for little list? So the, the king mustn't acquire for himself, verse 
16, great numbers of horses. And that's possibly the only point you read through this and think, oops. Um, because if we know very little about our queen, we do know her two great loves are her dogs and her horses. And she's got a lot. Um, uh, so you might sort of think, oops. Um, there's something, I do have a tangent. There's something I think that she cuts herself a bit of slack, age 96. State opening of parliament. Oh, no, I'm just, I can't do it. Um, oh, horse display, the Great Windsor horse display. Yeah, I'm there for that. Um, I actually quite enjoyed that. Do you think age 96, you can do that, can't you? It's sort of, isn't that what's called semi-retirement? Um, I think that's quite good. The point here, though, is, is nothing particularly bad about having horses. It's the military, they, back then, they're the military hardware of the day. Horses give you an advantage in war. Horses draw chariots. Horses are your javelin missiles and attack drones on the battlefield. That's what horses are. The point is that the monarch shouldn't accumulate for himself military hardware. Don't trust in it and don't intimidate others with it for himself. The point on the horses, really. Uh, second little thing, of course, is um, uh, the king or the monarch mustn't take many wives. Well, I guess you'd say the queen has done quite well on that front. Um, she had one husband for a long time. Again, what's the, what's the point back here then? In Old Testament times, you married for influence. You married, perhaps multiple times in the culture of the ancient Near East, to um, have a treaty with someone, to form an alliance you'd marry. It's not primarily a sort of sexual issue, a sort of, oh, I want lots of, I want lots of wives and concubines. That's not really it, what's going on. It's you marry multiple wives for influence, politically, is the stress. So I think these first two don't accumulate military hardware, don't accumulate multiple alliances. I mean, there could be a sexual distraction, I know there could be that as well, but I think primarily it's influence, politically. God is saying, my king, my monarch, needs to trust me, the Lord, not in military strength, not in political alliances, but trust in me. Perhaps on that front, you'd say the Queen is a real gift to us. Uh, it's been striking over the years. Her Christmas messages, um, very gently, not forcefully, but I mean, you, you go back certainly over the last 25 years, pretty much always some reference to Jesus and the gospel and her trust in his forgiveness, her trust in him, very gently, not forcefully. Dare I say, our modern bishops might learn a little thing or two from just gently, unassumingly mentioning that we trust in Jesus. But back in 2002, we may even have it. Back in 2002, she put it in these terms. Where is her trust? I know just how much I must rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. Don't rely upon military strength or resources or your wealth and um, give thanks. 
that our monarch of the last 70 years says, yeah, I trust in the Lord to get me through each day. He is my strength. The third, don't accumulate. Don't accumulate for yourself large amounts of wealth. I don't know what you say about the, um, the queen here. Uh, I, I, never understood how, I never really understand how much money is hers and how much is the nation's. I don't really get it, actually. Um, but not accumulate for himself. Again, nothing wrong with being the queen, the ruler, the monarch of a wealthy nation, but just don't have it all for yourself. The queen, of course, by any um, report, is a, a child of her generation, incredibly frugal, so you know all this. Breakfast each day is a bit of a few cornflakes from a Tupperware box, uh, or special K, apparently, if she wants a bit of variety, you know, woo-hoo, uh, just to, uh, to live on the edge. Um, famously frugal. Uh, she recycled all her bedspreads into cushion covers. She's put up signs around Buckingham Palace reminding staff, turn all lights off. She mends her own gloves, got some which are 50 years old, apparently. She's pretty frugal in some senses. But the stress here, you don't want a monarch who acquires for themselves. You want one who is one of the people and is an example to the people. That's what the Lord asked for in a king back then. And I don't know how you stay sane when you've sat for 200 official portraits and when your picture is on every banknote in the land. I don't know how you manage to maintain any sense of humility, really. But people do often comment that the Queen is pretty good at um, being one of the people. The former Foreign Secretary Douglas Hurd commented, uh, the Queen decided uh, very early on in her reign that to do her duty, she must behave in ways that make her impossible to protect. It drives the security forces crazy. Um, every walk, I mean, it's funny, it's, you take it for granted, only, but every walkabout wouldn't be hard to take out our monarch. But that's just, no, I've got to be part of the people. Some will remember, or um, 1982, or you might have seen it in The Crown if you don't remember it, um, you know, when uh, the guy, Michael Fagan, I mean, it's extraordinary, broke into her bedroom at Buckingham Palace. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? How pathetic was our security? Um, but Michael, do you remember this? Michael Fagan broke in, and for almost an hour, she's just sat up in bed conversing with this intruder, thinking, what on earth is going to happen? Um, and uh, no one really knows. They, they, they do it quite well in The, um, in the Crown, I think. But afterwards, lots of people commending her. Well, you were very calm. Um, you exceptionally well not to panic and just carry on the conversation with this guy, Michael Fagan. And the Queen observed, you seem to forget, I spend most of my life conversing with complete strangers. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> Remarkable, really, but unassuming. Unassuming. You never get the impression that the Queen is in it for herself. Service and duty, I guess, those have been the things that are stressed all weekend long. We want to thank the Queen for her service and her duty. So that's what you want. You want in a monarch, one who doesn't acquire for themselves. You want in political leadership, those who don't acquire for themselves. Actually, by comparison, she looks, starts to look pretty good. You want in a church setting leadership that don't acquire for themselves. We want leaders motivated by serving. 
So that's what you want. You want a monarch who doesn't acquire for themselves. And secondly, then, the monarch you want will read God's word daily, <clears throat> verses 18 to 20. Now, before we get to it, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the, the monarch is meant to copy out the Bible that has existed at the time, the Torah, the scrolls, and uh, then read it every day. Of the two things you want to stress about your king, isn't that interesting? Don't acquire for themselves. Read the Bible every day. It's the most useful thing I can require of a monarch. Just read the Bible every day. A number will know. At the Queen's coronation, who knows if it'll be read next time, but at the Queen's coronation back in um, June of 1953, uh, these words are said to her as a Bible is put into her hands. Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the Bible, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. It's extraordinary. Something like 23 million Brits watched it, uh, more listened on the radio. But this is the most valuable thing this world affords. That is what is declared to the monarch upon receipt of the scriptures. Who knows next time? But wow, what a declaration to make. How can that be true? Well, here in Deuteronomy 18, look at the benefits that are spelled out. So um, uh, verse 18, when he, the monarch or the, the sovereign, takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests, is to be with him, he's to read it all the days of his life, so that, here are the benefits, okay, three of them, so that, first, he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. There's the first benefit. You read the Bible every day, you'll revere, fear the Lord. It's the repeated instruction of the book of Deuteronomy. You should fear the Lord. How do you live a life that is pleasing to God? Well, here is the secret formula. Here is the magic answer. The monarch reads the Bible every day. That's how you learn to fear the Lord. That's how you learn to live rightly. That's how you learn to become more like him. Think. Read it. It's not magic. There's nothing magic about reading the words. Reflect. Meditate. Repeat to yourself. Second benefit Verse 20, that the monarch, if he uh, reads the Bible every day, will not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Humility. Ah, okay. Here's how you stay sane as a monarch. You read the Bible every day, and then you don't consider yourselves better than anyone else. You read the scriptures, they're very clear. I'm a sinner. Everyone else is a sinner. The only way any of us are acceptable before the Lord is by the grace of God, by Jesus Christ, dying a death in our place, rising to new life. That's what you'll get in the Scriptures. That'll keep you humble. The Queen is pretty extraordinary, I think. The, uh, Andrew Marr, in his biography of the Queen, commented, there is not a single reliable recorded incident of the Queen losing her temper. 
I mean, not a single recorded incident. I imagine if you'd asked her husband, he'd have an example. Okay. But it's even so, there's not a recorded, reliable incident of the Queen losing her temper, using bad language, or refusing to ever carry out a duty expected of her. Again, that is impressive, isn't it? I mean, we take her for granted. But again, probably in comparison with our current political leaders and stories from Sue Gray's report of Partygate and uh, cleaner security being treated with contempt, again, she looks pretty good compared to most. So they're the benefits. If you, if you read the Bible every day, you'll fear the Lord rightly. You'll not think too highly of yourself better than their fellow Israelites. And the, the last here is a longevity of reign. Not many kings in Israel lasted very long. The extraordinary benefits then of read the Bible every day. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, you should have heard that. But the coronation language, what do you make of it? Do you just view it as completely antiquated and wrong? This is the most valuable thing that this world affords. It is, that is the sort of sentence the Christians go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's useful, but the most valuable thing? When I was at theological college, I had one lecturer. He used to, he used to recurrently just pass you in the corridor, particularly if you, you knew him well, and would just stop you and say, oh. I mean, he, he became a running joke. He did it often. Remember? A minute spent within God's word is worth 10,000 pounds. Very good. And there's a sort of thing you say, yeah, there's a sort of thing you should say if you're a Christian, particularly if you're a lecturer in a Christian college, you should say that sort of thing. Um, and you think, I mean, 10,000 pounds is a lot, right? I mean, a minute, 10,000 pounds. I could do a lot with 10,000 pounds. Uh, I could buy myself some more minutes, probably. Uh, you know, I could buy some time by getting someone to do something for me. Then I've got more time to read the Bible. So obviously that's, you know... I mean, I mean, it's a silly thing to say. But it's a sort of thing, because he, he knew what he was doing. He was a smart guy. It just sort of wormed its way into your brain, that sentence. A minute spent within God's word is worth 10,000 pounds. And you'd start to think to yourself, yeah, I suppose you can't buy eternal life. And the Bible gives you Jesus. <laughs> it gives you that. You can't buy character change. You can't buy a transformed life. The time in the scriptures will give you that. We all know you can't buy contentment. But actually, meditating upon the scriptures and the Lord will give you that. And actually, when you start to think about it, you think, oh, he might be right. Because you can't buy these things. And the scriptures give them to you. Contentment, character change, eternal life. Maybe, maybe a minute spent within God's word is worth more than 10,000 pounds. And the queen seems to know that. The monarchy you want then for your, the monarchy you want will not acquire for themselves and will read God's word daily. What should we do? Two little things, <clears throat> two little things by way of response, I think. Uh, the first is in the broader section, look, be involved and pray for leaders. Um, we do and we must continue to pray for the queen. Pray for her son who will follow. Pray for her grandson. 
six months before the Queen, uh, the Queen's coronation, in uh, her first address, I think it was uh, over the um, as monarch, but before the coronation, she asked the people of the UK and the Commonwealth, "Please pray for me." Strike, isn't it? We may have that one again. Pray for me, she said. Pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. Pray for me. Pray that God will give me strength and wisdom to carry out the promises I'll be making. I think we can say God answered that prayer, that she has had wisdom and strength. She's got a dysfunctional family like the rest of us. She's got all sorts of trials like the rest of us. But she's carried them out, her duties, faithfully. That's why everyone was saying last night, thank you. But we must keep praying for national leaders. Pray for our monarchs. Pray, of course, for political leaders. Please pray for church leaders. I think I've always been personally very slow to ask for that. I feel a bit embarrassed. Oh, please pray for me, because I don't want to focus on me. That just feels, I don't like it. Um, I mean, if, if, you know, if you've been around the UK church scene for a while, you'll know in the last two years, there's been an extraordinary number of church ministers forced to resign due to moral failings. There's unprecedented numbers over the last couple of years. And so now I'm a bit more unashamed. Please pray for me. Please pray for others in leadership here at church, please do. Be involved in appointing them, caring for them, supporting them. What you want is the leaders who love God's word. Pray that we do that. So pray. And then what do we do? Well, I think we read a passage such as this. We look at our monarch and we give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks for Queen Elizabeth. You take her for granted. I mean, we all do, don't we? Because she's just there for, I think, probably most everyone in this room. She's the wallpaper of our lives. She's just always been there. And so the Jubilee is a wonderful thing because you stop and say, oh, she's done a good job, hasn't she? Give thanks. Let's be honest. We could do a lot worse than Queen Elizabeth. You look at some political leaders, you look at some other even um, constitutional monarchs around the globe, we could do a lot worse than Queen Elizabeth. And maybe only when she's gone will people look back and say, actually, she was pretty fabulous in how she served the nation. One of the things we can really give thanks for is that according to those who know her best and according, I think, to her public statements, we have a monarch who has a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, not just says the right words at the right occasion, but has a genuine faith. I mean, as I say, she gently, humbly, unassumingly mentions something pretty much every Christian, every Christmas message. Perhaps the clearest was back in 2011, at Christmas 2011, when um, she said this, Although we're capable of great acts of kindness as humans, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. 
And actually, that forgiveness is probably the most common thing she keeps coming back to over and over again. Increasingly, as the years go by, maybe she knows she needs it for herself. Maybe she knows she needs to demonstrate it to members of her family. Maybe she recognizes a culture we're not very good at forgiveness uh, anymore. But there is a monarch who knows that what she needs is a savior in Jesus Christ who died so that all of her recklessness, greed can be forgiven. And she knows that's what you and I need as well. So we can thank, give thanks. Give thanks for Queen Elizabeth. Of course, beyond that, I think in looking at a good monarch, a good monarch such as her, you think, well, let's give thanks beyond her to the one that she acknowledges. Give thanks for the king of the universe. Give thanks that as Christians we know Jesus is the monarch on the throne of the whole world. We can give thanks that we have a king in him who never sought to accumulate for himself power, influence, or wealth. He just gave. He gave up power, influence, and wealth in order to save. We can give thanks that in Jesus we have a king who clearly meditated deeply upon the law of God, not just reading it daily. He knew it perfectly. We can give thanks. We can give thanks that we will never have to mourn his passing. And one day Queen Elizabeth will go. It may not be very long. But we'll never mourn the passing of Jesus. We'll never say, well, that's the end of a great era. We'll never say, oh, if only we could have our monarch back again. We will say, praise God that he reigns forever. We'll say that. What do we want from a monarch? Catherine Whitehorn in The Guardian said, people want their sovereign to be better behaved, more restrained, more reliable than they are. Yeah, we may want that. In Jesus, we have one who is much more than that. We have one who, and the Christian is one who says, I need a savior who's not just better than me, but I need a savior who's perfect, who died for me, who reigns and rules over this world as a servant and will do so forever. So one thing I think, you give thanks for the queen and you always look beyond her and give thanks to the king of the universe. So it's a good day. It's a good weekend. It's easy to be a Christian and give thanks this weekend. Let's do so. Our great God and Father, we do want to thank you for the queen. We thank you as many have done for her service, for her commitment to duty. We thank you that she is one who is uh, gentle but unashamed in declaring that she has an, a living, a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. She knows him as her saviour. She seeks to follow him as Lord. Uh, Father, thank you that in doing so, she points beyond herself, as we all want to do, to the one who is on the throne of the universe. And we give you thanks that in him we have a perfect king to rule over us. Father, we honestly can celebrate this weekend for the good gift of a temporal queen in Elizabeth and the one to whom she points to. And we praise you for it in his name. Amen.